Uh, let's open to John chapter 6. We are just working our way through John. Um, we're taking three weeks to get through uh, this sermon, this conversation Jesus has about him being the bread of life. Um, tonight we're going to read verse 35, John six thirty-five, and then we're going to jump ahead actually to read 47 to 59, and then we'll kind of backtrack next week. So John chapter 6, verse 35, um, let's read this together. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then jump down to verse 47, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus, what are you saying? The, The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Are you listening to what Jesus is saying? I hope you are. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that right now we have in our possession your very words, Jesus. And I thank you that there's power in your word, Lord. There is power as you speak, Jesus. That's how you created the universe. You simply opened your mouth and you spoke and the universe came to be. And so right now, we just remember that your word is perfect, and it revives us, and it restores us. It leads us in the way we should go, and most importantly, it just, it leads us to you, Jesus. Your word is about you. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you help us if maybe we're tired, if, we're, uh, if we have questions, if, if we're really heavy laden, if we're stressed out? Would your spirit come and just in, in the midst of all kinds of stuff going on in our life, would your spirit speak to us? Your spirit speak to us. Give us life. Lord, I said it as a joke, but we, we don't want to just skip past your word, Lord. This is worship right now as we sit at your feet. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jesus just said crazy things. I hope you were listening. Even if you read the Bible a hundred times, this is crazy. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And and when they're like, Jesus, what are you saying? He, He didn't like, explain himself. He just went next level, right? He was like, yeah, eat my flesh, eat my flesh. Like, what are you saying? He's like, and you're not yet to drink my blood too. And they're like, what are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is a good teacher. And Jesus is speaking profound, deep truths, but he's like kind of masking what he's saying by just using like really common language, talking about food, talking about blood, talking about bread, things that we understand. And uh, I just want to just ask you this, be honest real quick. Think about this memory. This is important to help you feel this sermon. When is the hungriest you've ever been? Just think, just think of that horrible memory. When is the hungriest you've ever been? Okay. Just think of it. Remember it. Oh, it was the worst. Um, I have, a, I have a quick one. I just want to share it because I still feel it. It's, it's deep in me. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, um, I moved here to Santa Barbara, went to Westmont. Where I grew up, there wasn't homeless people. So like, I mean, really homeless people. So when I wa- walked on State Street, my mind was like, what the heck? There's 
homeless people here, here, everywhere. I think you, a lot of you guys are in LA today, right? Like, I saw a lot of homeless people. Like, they were just living in the rain. And my mind was blown, and I was like, what, what is this? And I was like, do you know what? I'm honestly going to solve this problem. Like, I know people have tried, but like, I'm gonna, I care about this. I'm going to solve this problem, me and a couple of my friends. So we would go down every Friday night, and we would just, uh, like, meet homeless people and get to know them, hang out with them. It's honestly really fun. They have really crazy stories. If you ever, like, get, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but they have crazy stories. And um, a lot of them, like, know about Jesus, know Jesus, know a lot of scripture. There's crazy stuff you would see. But um, so we were doing that a lot my freshman year in college. And we were like, okay, spring break's coming. We got to do something radical. Everybody goes to Mexico. Everybody does this. Everybody's that. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to do none of that. We're going to just go be homeless for spring break, live with the homeless people, because if we do that, that'll solve the problem of homelessness. So we're like, that's what we're going to do. So, you know, I was young. I was 18. And we were like, okay, listen, for the next two months, we're just going to grow out our facial hair, which it was not like this. And we're going to go to Goodwill. I'll confess. I'll be honest. I, we went to Goodwill to buy clothes to look homeless. We were like, what's the nastiest looking big overdressed thing we can look? And we we're like, oh, man, we're going to solve homelessness. And so, um, and then we we're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to bring our phones. We're not going to bring money. We're going to bring whatever we can carry on our back. It's like a backpack, you know, a journal maybe, blankets. And so we did. So we like walk from Montecito down to State Street for a week. And we were being homeless, right? And um, it was like, it was pretty fun for like a couple hours, honestly. And then we're like, okay, man, where are we going to sleep? And there's this whole story where we slept next to this crazy guy who was fully high on something and he lost his mind. We took off running. We went to another place, started sleeping. And um, so we were like, man, we're hungry in the morning, obviously. And we're like, how do we get food? And we're like, I mean, I guess you beg. That's what you do. So we would sit on the side of the wherever we'd move all around and we would beg. And I mean, maybe some of you have actually had to do this. It's like very humiliating because you are like, hey, can I have something? And you just get like 99 out of 100 times just this look of disgust, this absolute look of like, I'm disgusted at you. And that like wears on you. And I honestly wanted to be like, I'm not even homeless. Like, you're wrong. Just give me something. And like, and it was, I just, it was just wore us down. And then uh, there's three of us. We would get some money. We had like 20 bucks. And we're like, okay, we're going to have lunch. We're going to have Chipotle. It's going to be so good. And uh, we're like getting ready to eat. And then one of our friends who had the money was talking to this other guy. And he's like, do you know, I feel like, and we didn't know this. So we're like, all right, let's go to lunch. He's like, actually, sorry, I just gave our money away. And I was like, are you kidding me, bro? Like, I know that's cool. That's, but like, you know, we got to eat too. And so the, it was like day after day after day. I remember it was like day five. We were over by City College. And you guys, I was so, I remember specifically laying down on the sidewalk, 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 laying there just like, I can't go on. Like, I can't, what are we, like, I specifically remember vividly laying there. Me and my friend, we had like a really holy friend who was like, I'm fine. But us two were just, (laughs) why are we here? Like, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. Um, It's burned into my memory. And long story short, this, we went to this church, Ocean Hills, and this guy came up to us and was like, hey, I, we slept outside. And he was like, hey, I felt like the Lord told me to do this. And he gave us $100. And it was, we had like two days left, and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, how I can buy so much food right now. Like, that's all you're thinking. And, um, of course, our holy friend was like, you know what? No, what if we just... What if we got as many homeless people as we could and we just went and we had a big Chipotle feast together and we just shared the hundred bucks and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Um, but I'm just inside, like, I just want my food. And so we did and we took up like the whole patio of Chipotle on State Street with you guys. There's probably like 30 people and I, literally the Lord provided, like, I don't know exactly how it happened, but everybody had Chipotle and it was awesome and glorious. So anyways, that's my hungriest story and it haunts me to this day. When I start getting hungry, I get fearful and I just overcorrect and eat too much because I love food. Now, This is why I say that, because being hungry is something we've all experienced. And it's something that's like physically like this visceral thing, like I'm hungry. And it doesn't just affect your body, right? It affects your mood. It affects like how much you care about people. It affects like your soul, because we are like created mind, body, soul, spirit. So when your body's not right, like your whole person's not right. And food is, is like profound. And so we've all been hungry, physically hungry. Now, Jesus brings up bread right now, and he says, I am the bread of life. And do you know what Jesus is getting at? Is that we are not just physically hungry people, but if we're honest, every human being in here, I know this as a fact, is also spiritually hungry. Our souls get hungry, just like our bodies do. 
And your soul was created like your body to like need sustenance, like to need nutrients. Every human being, regardless of what you believe, what religion you are, if you grew up rich or poor, had a horrible life, a happy life, you have a soul that is deeply hungry. That's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. We like are this insatiable soul. And when we sinned against God, we like got really hungry. Like all of a sudden that source of nourishment got cut off and our souls are hungry. And you know, this is, we, we know this. A non-Christian celebrity, they testify to like a hungry soul. And we look at people who've had everything. Like I, I was looking at, um, it's depressing, but celebrities who had everything and then committed suicide because their souls were hungry. If you guys know Kurt Cobain, I don't know if you heard of him, 90s Nirvana. Ernest Hemingway was like the most world-renowned author, committed suicide. Did you know this? Cleopatra, Queen Cleopatra committed suicide. And as far as we know, probably Hitler committed suicide. Like these are some of the most powerful, influential humans who had like kingdoms at their fingertips. And yet they were spiritually unsatisfied. To the point where they're like, man, I can't take this. I'm going to kill myself. And, and listen, I know that every human being in here, including myself, experience hunger in our soul. Like sadness, discontentment, loneliness, jealousy. Every one of us experiences this hunger in our soul. And just like our body physically is like longing for food, our souls do the same thing. And this is what every human is pursuing. Like, I need to satisfy that. Like, I need to do whatever I can do to satisfy this hunger in my soul. And so we numb out and we look for satisfaction and something to hold on to, right? Like, maybe it's relationships. Maybe you have that relationship and you're just looking for this person to, like, satisfy that. Or maybe you don't have the relationship and you think, man, if only I had it, then my soul would be satisfied. Uh, maybe for some of you guys, it's success in like sports or school or if your parents or if only your family were like, good job, then you would be okay. And these things like, it's, just, it's what goes through our mind. Like when I don't have it, when I see someone else have it, I'm like, I need that. That would satisfy my soul. Maybe, do you know what else is, this is a dark one? Helping people and doing good things is often just an attempt to satisfy our soul. Like, I feel really good about myself when I do this thing. And so I'm going to satisfy my soul if I just keep doing enough good stuff. If I keep just acting like Jesus the best I can, it, like, helps. But I need to tell you guys, nothing, nothing you do will satisfy you. And do you know how I know this? King Solomon, the wisest human who has ever lived, wrote an entire depressing book of the Bible about this fact, that you will not be satisfied under the sun. It's book of Ecclesiastes. Honestly, if you just want to be depressed, read Ecclesiastes. He's being honest with you. Listen, I've had more money, more success, more sex, more anything and everything, and it's not worth it. It's vapor. I've tried, and he, he goes on to like, listen, I, did, I was into gardening, Solomon's talking about. I planted every tree. I knew every plant. Didn't work. I had over a thousand wives. Didn't work. I had all this money, all this stuff. It does not work. That's a human experience. We're longing to satisfy our soul. And it's into this world of full of just dissatisfied, hungry people that Jesus shows up and says, I, I am the bread of life. Jesus shows up to these hungry people running after all kinds of stuff. And he's saying, hey, I am the bread of life. He says in these verses, whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Now, uh, any of you ever, uh, any Christians here? It's, it's okay if you're like not, if you're a couple, maybe a couple of Christians. Um, are you, have you ever been hungry after you've become a Christian? Anybody? Yes. So Jesus isn't saying, if you, are, if you come to me, you'll never be physically hungry again. We know that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is when you come to him, your soul will find satisfaction. He says, I am the living bread. Not like I am this loaf of bread that you can eat and it's good. I'm like bread that's alive. Jeez, what does that mean, Jesus? What he's saying is this bread is better than this dead little roll of flour. I am living, I'm alive. When you eat me, you have life. And I just want to remind us, Jesus is interested in you and your soul being satisfied. 
He's actually out for you to be satisfied. Listen, I know I think this often. Jesus is out to make me miserable. He's just trying to take my stuff and he's trying to say, you can't do that and you can't do that. Listen, Jesus is out for your satisfaction. And I have to say, he knows how to satisfy better than anyone else. He is out for our satisfaction. And if we taste and see that Jesus is good, we will never be hungry again. Now, Jesus is brilliant. He knows what he's doing. He's using profound metaphor. That's how he teaches so often. You remember right before this, he just fed 5,000 people, probably actually 20,000 people. He just feeds them supernaturally. Now they're coming to him. They're having this conversation. They have bread on their mind. He's talking about manna. And so he starts using this metaphor of bread. And here's how I want us to like work through these verses quickly. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Listen, Jesus doesn't just say random, like he meant, he meant what he said, I'm the bread. He chose that metaphor for a reason. So um, I don't know if any of us are into baking. I don't know if anybody bakes here. It's cool if you are, it's awesome. I wish I was. Um, but I'm not a baking expert, I'm not a bread expert, but I read about these things. So I'm gonna give you guys quick nine steps to enjoying bread, okay? Listen, this is important. Um, if you're a note taker, nine things, okay? And honestly, the whole sermon will be around these nine things. Number one, do you know where bread comes from, anybody? Anybody smart in here? Wheat, yeast, well, yes, many things. But the original piece of bread, the original source, anybody, I think someone said it, wheat, comes from wheat. Uh, do you know what wheat is? Does anyone know what wheat is? It's a plant, right? Well, let's be even more technical further back. Where does that plant come from? Uh, specifically a seed, yes. Yeah, soil is true too. It came from the soil. But the, the wheat itself came from a seed. Does anyone know what that seed came from? Wheat. It was a wheat seed, okay? So number one, the first thing you need to know about bread is, is this grain, it's technically a grain of wheat, is taken from wheat, which was taken from the seed that died and became a producing plant, right? So grain is picked from wheat. First thing you need to know about bread. Second thing, does anybody know the next step in making bread? You have this little grain, you have a whole bucket full of grains, what do you do, anybody? You grind it, wow. You crush it. Uh, it used to be a big millstone, which is this thing on its side, and like a donkey or a person or whoever would walk around, crush it. Now we have like machines that crush the grain. Second thing is it's crushed. Listen, I, I want to remind us, Jesus is using this metaphor for a reason, okay? Number three. Do you know what the next step is? You have all this crushed stuff in this, th- whatever it is. Do you know what happens next? The wheat is purified. And that happens, and it's, uh, it's sifted through like this, mesh, whatever, and it's sifted to remove impurities. That may be rocks or uh, dirt or anything that's not wheat. It's sifted, and uh, a lot of times parts of the wheat, like the outside husk, is removed. That's called bran. So if you have whole bran bread, that's included, but normally it's removed. And then it's washed and cleansed. So the next thing that happens is it's purified. The fourth thing that happens is it's made all of this fine stuff. It's flour, basically. It's then made into dough by being mixed with yeast and water and often salt. Okay, the fifth or the fourth thing is that grain is made into dough. The fifth thing that happens in bread, listen, this is profound, okay? This is eternally profound. The next thing that happens to bread is it sits there for hours. Did you know that? It sits, and the yeast does its work, and the dough rises. There's a technical term for it, and I forgot it. It starts with a P. And in proofing. Proofing or something? I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Uh, number six, the, the thing you need to know about bread, what is dough done after it's all raised and ready? What do you do? You put it in an oven, and you bake it. I'm not sure if somebody said that, but that's what you do. You bake this dough in this hot, environment for about an hour, less than an hour, kind of depends on your oven. Then the bread is sat out, cooled off. Number seven, the thing you need to know about bread, is bread is then broken or sliced to be shared and eaten. Eighth thing you need to know about bread is that it nourishes the body. And you know what the ninth thing you need to know about bread? This is important. Bread isn't only like, yeah, thanks, I'm not hungry anymore. If it's good bread, it's delicious, Bread is delicious. It doesn't just feed you. You're like, oh, that was so good. Now, 
quick disclaimer, if you're gluten-free, I'm sorry. This is a lot of like bread metaphor and you're just sad. And I just have to say, I mean, I don't know what to say but other than you're missing out because this is good stuff. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. I don't, maybe there was gluten-free bread, Jesus knew. Maybe you can bake. I don't know anything about gluten. I'm not gluten-free. Anyways, nine things about bread. Now listen, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the true bread. I am the living bread, right? And he gets kind of creepy and he starts talking like a cannibal and they're like, what are you saying? He's like, listen, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life. Now, he's, now we know this. He's speaking metaphorically, right? He's speaking metaphorically earlier about eating. If you, if you eat this, you'll never be satisfied. He's speaking metaphorically about faith. To eat the, the flesh and blood of Jesus is to believe, to cling to Jesus by faith, okay? So he's speaking metaphorically, but he's speaking very profound stuff, you guys. So listen, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk through those nine things, and I want you to see something. As bread is made from this grain of wheat that was once a seed that died, listen, Jesus is this grain, he is the true grain that died, that fruit could come. Listen to John 12, 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You guys, Jesus, the author of life, the author of wheat and everything that grows came to die. He died. The author of life died like a seed of wheat and he was put in the ground. And listen, there would be no true life if Jesus hadn't died. Jesus is the true bread. And you know what? He didn't stay dead. He rose again. He bore fruit like this grain that dies and then becomes a whole wheat-bearing plant that then has all these more seeds that just bears fruit and bears fruit and bears fruit. Jesus is the true grain that died for you. Second thing, remember, as grain is plucked and then crushed, this next step, you guys, listen, feel this. Jesus was crushed for your sins. Jesus was crushed. Isaiah 53, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, Jesus is being crushed and wounded. We are healed. Man, we have iniquities. We all have transgressions. Doesn't matter if you agree with that or not, you do. And Jesus said, I'll be crushed for you, for your iniquities, for your sins. That way you, when you come to me and eat my flesh and drink my blood, will be healed I'll be crushed. My body will physically be tormented and beaten and whipped and nails put through my body and I will hang and suffer and be tortured and die that you won't be crushed. You will have healing as you come to me. Jesus was crushed for us. And listen, as as bread is then, after it's crushed, it's sifted and it's purified. Listen, do you know Jesus is the purest wheat there is. Jesus is pure. And do you know why that's important? Because if Jesus wasn't pure, then he was not a good sacrifice. And then we would have to be more pure than Jesus was to atone for our own sins. And I don't know if any of you would want to claim, yeah, I think I'm more pure than Jesus. No, it is good news that Jesus was holy and blameless. He lived 33 years and saw temptation after temptation after temptation. He literally had the devil after him. And he remained pure and obedient and faithful. Because you and I, we did not, we are not pure in and of ourselves. We all know that. We're not pure. I guarantee all of us this week have had impure thoughts. Maybe today, maybe tonight as you are worshiping, impurity is part of who we are right now as we're broken in our flesh. But Jesus is pure. 1 Peter 1.19, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He is pure. And listen, I just want to remind us, we hear that and we're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is pure. Um, 
I heard this story from one of my favorite pastors. He was at um, like something like this, and uh, somebody gets up, and the guy wanted to talk about sexual purity, right? And so he's talking about purity. He's talking about abstinence. He's like, yeah, you need to be pure, blah, blah, blah. And, but before he starts, he has his rose. He's like, isn't this a beautiful rose? He passes the rose around. He's like, everybody just smell the rose, pass the rose around. Everyone's passing. It's like 20 minutes in. He's like, hey, who has the rose? And some random guy in the back's like, here, I have the rose. He gets the rose, and like, what's a rose going to look like after it's been passed to like a couple hundred people? It's all like broken and doesn't look good. He's like, okay, this thing has, is not pure. This thing has been battered and beaten. And he said, who would want this rose? And his whole climax, the whole point is nobody wants that rose. So therefore, you need to be pure. Because if you're not pure, who's going to want you? Nobody's going to want you. And that was his entire point. Now, this pastor said this. He was sitting in the back and he's hearing this. And listen, the guy's right. I'm sure nobody wants like, a dirty old rose. I'm not going to give my wife, here's this battered rose. Sure, I, nobody wants that. But do you know what he said? He wishes with all of his heart, he said. He said, I wish I yelled out in that room, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus actually wants that rose. That's the gospel. That's why he came because we are not pure. We are all that rose. We've all been battered and beaten by people, by our own foolish decisions. And Jesus said, I'll be pure and I'll come for you. You guys, let's not forget the gospel. Yes, be sexually pure, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is none of us are pure. doesn't matter how Little you feel you have sinned sexually. We are impure from the inside out. And Jesus came for impure people. And if you're pure, honestly, like you don't, you don't need Jesus. Good job. Keep it up. Jesus is like, I came for broken, sinful, impure people because he alone is pure. He alone is that pure grain flower that was made for us. It is good news that Jesus is pure. And then remember, okay, number four, Dough is then made with yeast and water and salt. And this is profound. Jesus uses these metaphors. He says, I and my kingdom am like yeast. And me and my kingdom is like salt. And this is why this is profound, you guys. We, uh, as humans, as Americans, as Canadians, I've never said that, we we value glory and power and gifting, and ability, and influence, and platform, and money. We value that stuff. We value that as Christians. We value that as whatever, in sports, and business, and whatever. That's what we value. And Jesus says, do you know what? My kingdom's not like that. My kingdom is like yeast that starts really small. Like, you can't even really see yeast is small. I've never really seen yeast, but I don't think it's big. Yeast is a small thing. You put a tiny bit of yeast into this bread and it starts small and it slowly grows. You guys, Jesus came as a baby. He came as like a two-celled little thing in his mother's womb. That's how God decided to show up in human history. Like imagine if you could have any entrance in history He's like, do you know how I want to do it? I want to be two little baby cells and just wait for nine months and then just live a human life at this poor family. You guys, Jesus does not value what we tend to value, strength and glory and power. He was small and unassuming. And do you know how he climaxed his life and ministry? Death on a cross. That's what Jesus' kingdom looks like. That's yeast. It's radical. It's like upside down. It doesn't make sense. Paul says it looks like foolishness. Listen, if, if the world is like, dude, your life looks awesome. He's like, you're probably not following Jesus who was crucified. Like, it's upside down. His kingdom is small. It's not how you would think it should be. He's like, you want to be great? Honestly, be the m- biggest servant of all. Let nobody see you. The night before Jesus was killed, he did the lowest task that a slave didn't even do. And he's like, I'm going to take off my robe and I'm going to wash feet. Like, that's greatness. It's, I mean, nothing against giftings to be on a stage, but, but that's not what it is to be great, you guys. It's just not. It's not what it is to follow Jesus. Anybody can do stuff. To follow Jesus is to be like Jesus and small and unassuming like yeast. And then also seasoned with salt. Do you know what I love about seasoned with salt? Salt brings two major things, flavor and, and life. It preserves, okay? Listen, Christians should honestly be the most flavorful humans around. We honestly should. Honestly, we should. People should look at us and be like, dude, why are you like, man, you, 
You like when I feel I feel good. I, you like taste good. I like being around you. I like that you like preserve life. I like that everywhere you go, it's better. It's like you're just seasoning this salt, metaphorical salt, on everywhere you go and everyone you talk to. That's what it is to follow Jesus. And then as dough sits there, that's the next step, it sits and it waits. It's the same, same truth. Jesus' kingdom seems slow, like this dough. I mean, I don't, I've never just sat and watched dough rise. I don't think it's exciting. It just, you have to wait. And it's slow. And you guys, Jesus' kingdom is often like that. And listen, it's so good for us to... Um, be ambitious for Jesus and dream big for Jesus and to think about reaching the nations for Jesus and think about, I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for radical, big, fast stuff to happen. That's awesome. And he occasionally does that. Pentecost, he does that. But I will say that more often, his kingdom just feels really slow. And more often than not, when you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, like more often than not, it feels like nothing's happening. Like, that's what his kingdom is like. That's why he had to teach us, keep praying, keep asking, never give up, never lose heart. Hey, if you've ever asked for, uh, like, healing and it didn't happen, listen, there's, like, room for that in God's kingdom. It's slow. It's like yeast. He says, that's why you, listen, do you know why that often happens? He's like, I want you to keep praying. I want you to not give up. I want you to continue to trust me, to continue to ask for me. Week one, week two, week three. Right now, I can't hear out of my left ear. It's been about two weeks and it's been miserable. I've gone through like, uh, like scared, like I'm, a, I'm deaf. Then I've gone to like uh, frustrated, what the heck, God? And I pray, pray, pray. I've probably been prayed for 43 times, haven't been healed yet. And then I finally got to this point where I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's why he said like, keep praying. Keep, that's like, Jesus said that. Like, that's like, I want you to keep asking, keep asking. And it often feels slow. Listen, if you wanna pray for me, I will receive it. Please, Jesus, heal my ear. But many, many times following Jesus, it just feels sluggish and slow and unexciting. But something profound is happening. If you cook dough and don't wait for it to rise, something bad happens. I don't know what, but something bad happens. That's just part of what it is to make bread. It's part of what it is to follow Jesus. Listen, one more thing on this. Remember, Jesus is like, hey, it, uh, God's kindness often seems slow. We're like, Jesus, it's been 2,000 years. Where are you? Why don't you just come back and wrap this whole thing up? He seems slow. God's promises seem slow. Jesus is like, I'm coming soon, 2,000 years ago. We're like, God, why are you so slow? But it's God's patience that is making room for more people to come in the kingdom, for the the dough to spread like yeast. And so we just got to learn to trust God, that he's doing something, even when I don't see it, even when it's frustrating, even when like, why isn't this happening? That's part of what it is to follow Jesus. And then number six is bread has to be baked in an oven. Listen, this is heavy. Jesus experienced eternal fire on the cross, you guys, for us. That's just true. Jesus experienced the wrath of God on the cross. Like what hell is, Jesus experienced. Because because fire purifies and it burns away anything that's impure. And you guys, God is perfectly holy. He's so holy. He's so gnarly. Like the sun is like a bad metaphor for how gnarly and holy he is. He is perfect. And it is good that our God judges evil. That's a good thing. I I would prefer a God who hates evil and is doing something about it. God is holy and will judge everything that is evil. And one of the two ways God decided to to do away with evil is by, by pouring out his holiness and his wrath on Jesus, on his own son. And if you trust in Jesus, if you like feast on him, Jesus experienced all the wrath of God, all the heat and holiness and fire of God is redirected from you and your sin that you that are doing or just did, it's directed to Jesus on the cross. Like Jesus suffered like that for you, for your sins. And listen, it doesn't do any good to say, you know what, God's not really holy no, God doesn't really, he's not really a God of wrath. God doesn't really hate evil. Listen, how, I mean, probably bad would bread be without being baked, right? I mean, maybe you like dough, that's fine. But something better happens when it's put through heat. Like God is holy and hot and righteous and that is a good thing. And because of Jesus, you 
can be made holy and blameless and righteous. Jesus took what you never had to do. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, anybody? Remember they were like in the fire and they're like thrown in and the guys who threw them in died. It was so hot. And then they were just walking around and Nebuchadnezzar, the king's like, what's going on? And it said there was a guy like the son of the God, the son of God in there with them. Like because of Jesus, you do not have to fear the wrath of God. You can like, be in the fire, the holiness of God. You can be right next to his presence. Okay, because you have Jesus with you who makes you able to get closer to that holy, perfect God. You can draw near to God with boldness and confidence because of Jesus. So listen, don't think like when I come into worship or like I sinned and now I'm like, oh, like I'm nervous. I don't wanna draw near to God. That's literally the accuser, the enemy saying, hey, don't go there, he's holy. But you're forgetting that Jesus already took that sin. He came for the rose. And so you can draw near to God right after you've sinned because of Jesus, because he's with you and you can be near to Jesus. And then as you take the bread out and uh, what's the next step? You eat it and it's good and it's, it's broken and it's shared. And just a reminder, we've already talked about this Jesus his body was broken like bread for the world. That's like why we do communion. It's this physical thing we eat and remember Jesus was broken so that I don't have to be broken. Jesus was broken so that you could be whole. And then uh, number eight, as bread provides uh, life, uh, Jesus is the true life. True life. Jesus says in verse 53, look at it, this is really important. Verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, what does he say next? You have no life in you. Like, if you don't eat, it's bad. You die. You don't have life in you. If your soul doesn't eat, you are spiritually dead. And in fact, we were all born spiritually dead and we needed to feast on Jesus to come to life. Listen, being dead, having no life in you, it's not good. You can't help yourself when you're dead. You can't do anything when you're dead. You're simply dead. Listen, if you're spiritually dead, it doesn't matter how good you try to be. If you're spiritually dead, it doesn't actually matter how bad you are. Like, you're just dead. You're dead. There's not like more dead and less dead and really, really dead. And life is found only in Jesus. Jesus says he will live because of me. And so, listen, I just have to say this. You won't be flourishing and being nurtured and growing as a Christian if you're spending no time with Jesus. It's just not how it works. Like you need to eat, you need to feast on Jesus. God did this thing where like our bodies depleted themselves like three times a day-ish so that we need to feed ourselves. Like I don't know, he just came up with that. But I need to ask you this. What came first, okay? Your mouth and your stomach or Jesus? Obviously, Jesus, right? And Jesus says, I need to create something that helps communicate what it's like to need me. So he's like, you know what a good metaphor is? I'll make their bodies like run out of fuel and then they're gonna have to like feed it like a lot during the day because that communicates something about what it is to need Jesus. Your soul needs to feast on Jesus. Manna, remember manna in the Old Testament was collected every day. And if you were smart and you're like, I'm gonna go on vacation tomorrow, so I'm gonna pack a bunch of extra manna and go take it with me. It doesn't work like that. It turned into wormy, stale, nasty, maggoty manna. Who wants to eat that? Your soul will not be able to even rely on yesterday's time with Jesus. Like you need time with Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day. It's, It's how we have life. And if your soul is feeling dead and groggy and not alive, you just have to ask, how much are you feasting on Jesus? Like, how much are you actually, like, reading his word? Like, listen, it sounds lame, but get up early and do this because it's, like, life. This is, like, this is where life is found. We don't do this to, like, check off, I did my thing today. We do this because it's, like, I'm hungry and I'm grumpy and I need, like, food for my soul. That's why I do this in the morning. That's why we shouldn't even honestly be, like, all right, I did it. I'm good. Like, That's a hungry afternoon and night, right? Like three meals a day. I need to continue to be with Jesus. I need to be with him with brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to be with him on my own. That's why I come to church. That's why I like do as much as I can because I want to be like, I want to have life in me. 
But listen, Jesus isn't just, he doesn't just keep you not dead. Remember the last thing about bread? It's like delicious. That's profound, you guys. Jesus doesn't just keep your soul not dead. Thanks, Jesus, I'm not dead. Like, he is honestly delicious. Do you know that? Jesus is delicious. That should honestly be a tattoo. Should be like a thing. Jesus is delicious. He's satisfying. He's like warm and gooey and crunchy and like you put butter and it's like great to have other things. It makes other things better. Like I don't think you just want like a spoonful of jam or spoonful of like raspberries or maybe a spoonful of avocado, maybe, but I would say it's probably better on some bread. Jesus makes everything else better. He's delicious. He's satisfying. He says in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We're not just on like life support. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven one day. Like we have abundant life. Why would you just lay down on a hospital bed if you're abundantly alive? Like why would you not just like, I'm going on a run. I'm going on a hike. I'm so full of life right now. You guys, Jesus is satisfying and delicious. The Bible says, taste and see that God is good. Not agree with the theology. Yes, God is good. God is good. Like taste. Like, if you don't taste tonight, you are missing out. If you're not tasting and experiencing. Listen, and I, I, I feel for you. I know what it's like to be at the back of a room and seeing people going nuts and like, cool, good for them. You guys, there is an actual feast for your soul right now waiting for you. Taste and experience the goodness of Jesus. You have Jesus who came for you, died, was broken to be enjoyed. And, and listen, C.S. Lewis was right. He says, do you know what? Do you know what's wrong with us, people? We're far too easily pleased. We just like, our souls are satisfied on like some crackers. And we're like, no, nah, I think like, honestly, I think if I just do what I want with my body sexually, that's better. He's like, well, why would you do that? Like, you have a feast. There's something better. No, I think if I just like stay, hold on to this bitterness and this jealousy, it's better. Like, what we're doing is starving ourselves. We have a feast available. Listen, everything else in life runs out. It dies. It goes away. You get hungry again, except for Jesus. He's the only thing you can feast on that never runs out. And he actually says, when you come to me, springs of living water come. Do you know what that means? You don't just like, water doesn't just come in you. Like from within your soul, it produces life and water. Like Jesus is abundantly good for our soul. And I just want to remind us, because I want to close with a few practical things for us. Following Jesus is not primarily about what do I need to go do for him. It's about like what Jesus has done for me. I want to serve you, Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He's like, no, I'm going to actually wash your feet. I'm actually going to serve you. I'm actually going to satisfy you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be the only pure one, the only perfect sacrifice who died for you. To follow Jesus is first and foremost to abide and enjoy and feast. And when we eat, like we, energy happens, like good things happen. Things come from that. So when you follow Jesus and feast on him, yeah, some things will happen. You'll do some stuff. But remember, following Jesus is first and foremost about clinging and feasting on him. And the more you do that, the more you feed your soul, like you're gonna bear fruit. You're gonna follow suit. Really, really quickly, those nine things about bread, those are also nine things about what it means to follow Jesus. But, but you can never focus on that until you're like feasting on him. So listen, grain that dies, Jesus said, listen, you wanna follow me? You gotta do the same thing. You gotta lay down your life. You gotta die to this world and your dreams and follow me and my glory and my dreams. And it may be awesome and it may be fun, but listen, this life isn't about you and your dreams and your life and your satisfaction. It's about following me. And Jesus, we know secretly like, oh, that's actually better than anything. But he says, you wanna follow me, you have to die. But listen, never come and try and die for Jesus and give your life for Jesus if you haven't experienced that he's died for you in a way that you never could. And as grain is crushed to follow Jesus, often feels like crushing. It actually does. It won't always feel like feasting. It will often first feel like crushing, like dying, like this pressure. And that is part of what brings life out of us. If we don't die to our own self, if we have never been crushed, we're probably not actually following Jesus. But don't forget he was crushed for you. You never earn his love by being crushed. And remember number three, bread is pure. 
we're called to be holy and pure and blameless. We are called to be sexually pure and holy. But we will never be that unless we know Jesus was first that for us, our spotless lamb. And listen, you will only hate being pure if you have an experience that Jesus was pure for you. You're just gonna hate it. You're gonna resent Jesus. But when you have been cleansed from the inside out and given a new heart, you will love purity. You guys, this is a real thing. Maybe some of you have experienced. Purity is actually more desirable than impurity. Like sexual sin becomes gross. Like jealousy and bitterness becomes repulsive. That's a thing that's worth pursuing and desiring and it happens. Jesus makes us pure and we are to follow him and be pure. And listen, when you're not pure tonight, go back to Jesus who is pure for you. And that will motivate your heart to be like, man, I want purity. I want life to the full. Don't beat yourself up and be like, I need to be the pure spotless lamb and I blew it and I'm done. Like remember Jesus. And as bread has to be is mixed with yeast and salt, that's us. Everywhere we go, we preserve life, we make it better. As, as yeast is this slow process, hey, your character and your sanctification and your love for Jesus, listen, it's gonna be slow. It's just how it works. That's okay. And as bread is baked, listen, you guys, this is true. The number one way we are made like Jesus is through suffering. It's through baking and pressure and fire and heat. Fire purifies. That's the number one way. If you want to be holy, that's how it happens. We suffer. Honestly, I'm so lame at suffering. I've just been like pouting for two weeks about my ear. Jesus like, hey, maybe I want to like do some stuff in your heart. Maybe I want to make you pure. Like, oh yeah, this is hard. Like suffering is how we are made like Jesus. And his bread is broken and given away. You guys, we are to lay down our lives for Jesus. We are to be broken for the world. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, he laid his life down for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's your calling, to be broken and lay down your life for the world. And as bread brings life, guess what we, we're like, we're bread delivery men, delivering the best bread there is. We should bring Jesus around to people and not just physical like stuff, that's great, but like we have something better to give, we have Jesus to give. People are like dying. And we're like, have this thing, basket full of bread. Like the disciples, 12 baskets left over. Like, what am I gonna do with this bread? I can't eat all this bread. It's the point, you're to give it away. And the last thing, as bread is not only gives you life, it brings joy. Gosh, Jesus, help us be more joyful. Help us be more full of life. Honestly, help us have better parties than the world. And you know what I mean by that? It doesn't mean be like the world, outdo the world. It means we should have better parties. Like parties, like parties. We should have better parties. Music, food, feasting, when you're legally able to, enjoying gifts of God that are good, like alcohol. I just have to say it, you guys. We should have better parties. We should honor God and his gifts better than anybody and everyone. You guys, who invented sex? It wasn't the devil. There's a way to enjoy it. We have the source and author of joy and life who has given us nature and food and beauty and art and music. We shouldn't be lame, miserable, like, ah, I'm following Jesus. It's, it's lame. We should be full of life. We know how to enjoy the good gifts God's given us. We know how to say, no, that's not what it's about. No, don't, don't do that with it. That's, you're ruining it. We know how to enjoy life. Do you know, remember Jesus' first miracle? I, I, this maybe isn't helpful because maybe a lot of you aren't 21. He turned water into wine. It's in the Bible. That happened before anything else in our country saying you can't drink. And I'm really not saying you should drink. My point is, Jesus brings life. He brings life and joy. It doesn't make us bummer people to be with. Listen, when, our, when we see the world going after stuff and we feel like we're missing out, like we're just not. We're just not missing out. Like, like we should weep that they're missing out on the source and author of life and joy and music. Like, we know him. We get to enjoy them rightly. His word doesn't make those things lamer. It makes them better. As we follow him in his ways, we should be full of joy and life. And so as we go to worship right now, um, a couple of things to think about. Number one, I know because we are still broken and we haven't been perfect, perfected in the presence of Jesus when there's no more sin and suffering, I know that we've been struggling with sin this week. I know that. We all do maybe external, internal, whatever. 
The first thing we need to remember is to bring our sin to Jesus before we worship. Confess it. Get it in the light. Why would we run and hide? Get in the light. Remember that he came for us to make us pure and holy. Take communion. Remember what he's done. Uh, listen, you guys, I've been experiencing this with like some of my dear friends. Confess your sin. It's better. It's honestly better, you guys. You, you, you experience life and the enemy who's just messing with you. He like loses, he's disarmed. Because you're like, oh, that sin's been confessed and I'm healed and I have joy. I just want to uh, encourage us to be like radical and confess our gnarly stuff right now because we can because of Jesus. Listen, there, there will be no, like, it's like trying to eat pizza through a straw. Yeah, it's there and it's great, but like, you know, get rid of like, open your mouth and eat. When you're just trying to follow Jesus, be like, yeah, I don't want to like get rid of this stuff. It's like, why would you only choose a straw? You have a mouth. It's better with a mouth. Get, confess your sin. Get it out of the way. Open your mouth to feast on Jesus and not on sin or guilt or shame or condemnation. Jesus took that away. So let's remember the gospel. Number two, we want to be like Jesus. So let's pray for each other. Let's like pray, hey, man, I want to be like Jesus here. I want to be more bold. I want to tell more people about him. I feel called to this. Let's like pray for each other. Let's pray for healing and radical stuff to happen. Maybe this is like the 19th prayer for whatever. And Jesus is like, good job. You learned to like keep asking. I'm going to heal you now. And then the last thing, you guys, is let's feast together on Jesus. That's what we do in worship. If you do something else, I'm sorry. It's, that's a bummer because we have a feast waiting for us at the table. Let's not just kick back and be like, oh, it smells good. Looks like they're enjoying themselves. Like, let's eat and feast and taste and see that Jesus is good. Amen? Amen. Jesus, you are so good to us. You are the bread of life. Lord, just as bread smells good, I pray that right now it's as if this freshly baked bread just came out of the oven and we're hungry and we're like, man, I cannot wait to eat that. Holy Spirit, give us that desire to feast on the true bread of life, on Jesus. Thank you for your word that reminds us of truth, convicts us of sin, makes us long to be holy, and more than anything, just brings us to you, Jesus. We want to feast on you right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would break us of any, um, any pride right now, any bit of like, I don't need that. I know that. I'm good. I, I experience, I eat this morning. I'm I'm fine. Jesus, break us to that. We want to feast on you, Lord. Would your spirit remind any of us who are like, man, I don't deserve to come to the table. I know who I've been. Would you remind us that Jesus was broken and his blood was poured out so that imperfect, broken, used up, abused roses like us could be desired and could be brought into your presence, Lord. Would your spirit, Jesus, remind us that we are desired and loved by you. And God, I just pray that you would do what none of us can do and just glorify Jesus in our midst. Make Jesus more beautiful. We want, I want to taste and see right now. I want a fresh feast, a fresh meal in your presence. So move now, Holy Spirit, as we feast on you.